Well, here we are, folks. My name is Steve Hughes, Australian stand-up comedian, and I'm here with my wonderful new friend, Mr. Clive DeCarl. I'm a sit-down comedian. He's a sit-down comedian. In fact, he's just given me an idea for a wonderful new joke, which is going in the car. He's been helping me with getting my internal metabolic system back on board, and here, without knowing it, he's been helping uh, helping me also write uh, comedy jokes. Go on, tell, tell us your, your fresh one. <laughs> my fresh one. <laughs> he's just... I learned the other day that the uh, I was in Ireland recently and I got out of my Vitsi, which I it seemed like a good one my Vitsi because I got it from Glassman and it wasn't a regular label. No. And uh, so, but I didn't take enough, so then I had to go to the. Uh, and then I didn't take enough to Ireland. With me. I thought I'd let it last the tour, but it ran out, so I had to go to the health food store there in, in Dorky, which is where Bono lives. And. Uh, I bought the uh, Solgar brand, and then once I got back, uh, Clive was doing a podcast with Richard Bobes, and I found out that Holland and Barrett was owned by Monsanto, but then I found out that Solgar was also owned by the Carli Carlisle Group, who do a, also was a bit of a side dish, like uh, sell uh, weapons. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as Clive mentioned on the show, uh, it's... it's Probably not recommended to get health advice off people who are, are arms dealers. And, uh, but the new joke, of course, is being that what, what we all don't understand is that uh, in the tip of the missiles is a, is a naturally sourced blend of multi-peak complex. Or if we're dropping depleted uranium, we like to mix a bit of iodine in there, you know, <laughs> just, to, just to help them out at the end. <laughs> So we're down here in Wiltshire, an absolutely gorgeous part of England, which I have never been. I, uh, I've been to Swindon before, but not out in the countryside here. We're, we're at Clive's uh, cottage down here. And uh, I've been down here for a few days, and Clive suggested perhaps we get on camera and, and just have a bit of a chat. I was thinking about calling it co comedies and comedy and cures, but then I realised you'd get in great trouble if you started using the word cure. Well, no, it's fine. Uh, I can use the word cure and cancer in the same sentence, which is normally up to two years in prison, because I spell them with a K. Oh. And uh, it's crazy, but that makes the difference legally. Um, if you, you know, because it's all about spelling. How do you let them know that it's spelled with a K? Oh, you have to mention it. I tell them. Yeah. yeah. I explain. Obviously, they can hear it. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a cure with a K, comedy with a C. Uh, yeah. Although comedy is becoming illegal as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, which is why my first first DVD was called "While It's Still Legal," ah. which is a line I stole from a review I got from uh, Steve. I can't remember his surname. The fellow who runs a comedy website called Chortle. Right. He gave me a review many years ago in Edinburgh, and in the uh, last line of the review, he said, "Come and see this guy while it's still legal." And yeah. I, and I went very prophetic. And I. <laughs> And I've already been quite prophetic in myself on my PC jokes, thinking, you know, was the married hate speech to a offence, you know, and an, an, an objective law around a subjective experience of an individual or a group. Seems a little, seems a little fishy to me. And so, uh, Steve Jamison, that's his name, he runs Chortle, so a uh, shout out to Steve, I did steal the name for my first DVD off your review, so it was... Quite prophetic and uh, and a great name for a DVD, really. So, yeah. And came true. Not totally illegal uh, yet, but you know, 
don't have an agent. <laughs> I did have. I had two. <laughs> and uh, they ran away. Yeah, well, you're obviously saying naughty, naughty words. Like you. Yeah. So I'll, I'll spell my comedy with a K from now on. So it's, it's comedy. And uh, you'll have to spell cure with a K as well. So just out of interest, who are the funniest people around, in your opinion, if you're going to go and just, you know, laugh yourself happy? The greatest stand-up, I think, he's the greatest stand-up for a while. And I probably saw him first around 2007, maybe, is Bill Burr. All right, yeah. Um, when I first saw Bill Burr, I thought, this guy has got to be the next guy. He had a great voice, that Boston accent. I'm sure you guys, which, which, I sometimes listen to my own comedy and go, oh, does my accent work as well? As <laughs> he's, got the, he's got that great... You know, it makes a it makes a big difference in comedy. It's a, it's a great accent. He had good stuff to say. He had killer jokes. He could do characters. I think it means a lot to me. He could do accents. And his jokes were just well written, and they hit. His timing was impeccable. And I just thought, this guy's going to be, and he is. Now he's huge now. Um, another guy who's passed away, unfortunately, who I was watching the other night. He passed away about two thousand eleven, just as he got his first big decent special out was Patrice O'Neill ever heard of him? no no I'll show you some of his stuff afterwards big black guy from New York in fact he died of diabetes which is which is a shame um, he, he could just and he was very anti-establishment he, he, he always thought this was his theory that half the crowd should be dying as laughter and half the crowd should be utterly horrified <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right and he was he was a brilliant artist in that sense that he would you know every gig it should it should have a risk to it you know what I mean like 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 he saw comedy as the space where you could really open up new ideas mm -hmm. and joke about anything and he was ruthless and he had a brilliant understanding if anyone's on YouTube these days you'll understand a thing called the Manosphere which is around which is that kind of from MGTOW, which is men going their own way and has sort of developed on YouTube. Some of it's probably you know, controlled opposition, but some of it's a, a manifestation of the uh, over-exaggeration of feminism into this kind of, you know, impressive sort of ideology. And so a lot of men waking up to going that this, because it's a very crap patriarchy, isn't it? That when you get divorced, the woman gets half your stuff. It's not a very good patriarchy. <laughs> we get mostly. <laughs> right. Pretty piss-weak. Uh, uh, patriarchy, but he had a, he was ahead of his time on just the nature of relationships and the nature of women and men, <clears throat> and and uh, a great bit. He had this great bit about uh, the first time I saw him. I did some shows with him actually in England. He came to the UK sometimes, and uh, first joke I ever heard where I thought this guy's great it's because he went to prison when he was young for a false accusation. I remember the first joke I heard. I thought, yeah, this guy's got good jokes. He goes, I never let her. I make sure I never end up because I'm a good guy. It's just because, you know, I'll be in the park or something and I'll have a, I'll have a Pepsi and I'll just throw it over my shoulder and roll down the hill and just land straight in the hand of some dead white woman. <laughs> and next I'll be called <laughs> the Pepsi Cola Rapist. <laughs> and he just said, that he, he, he was, I was watching him the other night. He's just, man. 
He was, he was, he was like you get musicians, musicians. He was a comedian's comedian, you know, like, like him and Bill Burr were very good friends and they used to sit around the uh, comedy, I think it's the comedy cellar perhaps in New York, which Patrice got banned from. Had to be back in eventually, but he got banned because he was, he was, you know, he was talking about prison. But I remember Bill was doing this thing in an interview, I've never met Bill Burr, but he was saying in an interview one night that they would sit, because Patrice was taking out prisoners even with you. Like, like if you were in his company, you know, right. like, and I started to realize that that would have been very good for me. I've, I've, I've been a, I've, you know, like a lot of comedians, I've had my own neurosis, and I think, uh, and some low self esteem. And I think I would have got far more out of sitting around getting roasted by Patrice O'Neill and having to come back, oh, having, yeah. yeah, having mm. to defend yourself and just some therapy about, you know, I know my father and mother was a bit. Mess, you know, and I thought that probably would be done you a lot of good. It's just you, you can't you can't fall into that victim that oh I don't feel good about you know you just got to battle this 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 because because also it's in a friendly environment he doesn't hate you but it's going to be brutal. I've often seen those American roasts and thought God I don't know if I can handle that. Uh, <laughs> I, I've not seen that. Though. Yeah yeah yeah. So Patrice O'Neill, Bill Burr, they're up there with my favourites. Uh, Andrew Lawrence, have you seen Andrew no. Lawrence? Andrew no. Lawrence does a great YouTube channel. Me and Andrew were not best buddies. I've known him for a long time on the uh, comedy circuit. I don't know whether he still holds this grudge against me, but once we, we, once we were we were doing a late night show in Edinburgh. Outside shows, and then I'm, everyone's supposed to be doing ten minutes, and I've got to close it and do twenty or something. And Andrew's got on, and and he just he just kept going over time, just kept going over and over. Which I've done a lot. I'm not pointing the finger at Andrew. I've done that a lot myself. But you know, it's getting to three a.m. and I'm backstage, and then this, and then you know, there's parties going on you want to get to and stuff. And I must admit, I probably held a lot of bar stuff and and doormen back from parties they wanted to go to when I went too long at comedy clubs. <laughs> Not thinking of them. I apologise for that. But uh, Andrew's on stage. He's supposed to do 10. He's going into 15 and 20. And there's no sign of him stopping. And I just came out of the dressing room. There's like 200 people there. And just in front of all of them just went, get off the fucking stage, you fucker. I'm like, just, just, the whole crowd's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then I didn't see him. The bouncer even took him off the other way. Don't go in there with that maniac. And then also this thing they used to put on in Edinburgh was a 60 comics in 60 minutes. Right. So you had to go on and do one minute. And I was signed up for it. I'm there waiting to get my number. And Andrew's in front of me. I hadn't seen him since my yelling incident. And he gets his number and he walks past. I just grabbed him and went, I'll be watching. <laughs> right. I mean, I didn't hold anything against the guy. I've run over myself. And uh, I don't know if he still does about me, but I saw him, and he has a YouTube channel now. He talks about what's going on, stuff that's going on. And very, he's very erudite. He's very good at speaking. And and I watched some of his comedy the other day because Lee Hurst, who runs a backyard comedy club in Bethnal Green, started it. Uh, uh, Lee Hurst. 
asked to talk to a comedian that he wants a religious wife. Shut the cancel stuff. So he went for the full come and do what you want. I watched some of Andrew do that recently. It was good. It was good. It made me laugh out loud. A strange comedian who I do like, which many people either don't like because they don't like him or they think he's too mainstream. But I like Michael McIntyre. I, I don't know who he is either. Oh my God. I don't watch TV. Yeah, well, neither do I, but I've been in the comedy world also. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, so he's one of the biggest stand-up. Um, Jimmy Carr would be the biggest comedian from Britain, probably. Yeah, Jimmy Carr, I like. Yeah. Jimmy's ruthless at uh, just coming back from heckles. He's one of the best I've ever seen doing that. And Michael is not outrageous. He's not, he's not saying stuff like I talk about in comedy. He's not political. He's not... A lot of comics don't like him, but I think a lot of comics get jealous. I remember mm. when he first turned up on the comedy circuit, probably mid-2000s, and he was just ripping it up. And he became massive. We're talking these stadium-sized things. Oh, really? You know, he's huge. And he's a bit... He wears his suit, and he jumps around, and he bounces, and he's a bit... Pompous people used to go. Oh, he's, he's a bit pompous. He's a bit, a bit up himself. And I thought, well, you're in entertainment. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you're going to meet everyone in here, you know, from 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 complete drug addicts to to, to ego. You know, we're in the world of entertainment and ego. So he never did anything bad to me. So I didn't. I didn't have an issue with him. And, and he makes mainstream people laugh their guts out, which is harder than people think. Right. Because. I call them like the mainstream mainstream because we came, I came from underground heavy metal world. I uh, I thought going anywhere where people weren't covered in spikes and slave shirts <laughs> that they were mainstream. But then, but then, I, then I realised that people coming to see a comedian who they didn't know weren't the mainstream mainstream. They're the people that go to see who's popular, right? Because they're the sort of and then, and they're not always the most creative of people, and they, and they're not the biggest or widest in their thinking kind of people. And, and someone like me, I, th I can find it very challenging to make them laugh with the topics they cover. And I'm not saying that Michael does that with the topics I'm covering, but sometimes you, you, Rod Gilbert, a friend of mine, Welsh fellow, quite uh, eccentric in his comedy, once said to me, "It's getting the audience is getting harder." Yeah, because you're getting into the mainstream, mainstream, and your form of surreal eccentricity doesn't always sit with them. Right, yeah, yeah. Sure. And they've come to see you because they've seen you on the telly. Yeah. yeah. So, so Michael is very good at, you know, he could open this drawer, you know, like everyone's got a sticky tape scissors drawer, and Michael seems to get 20 minutes of decent comedy out of it. Where I can't. Uh, what else do I like? I like Reg Hunter. Yeah, he's a big black American guy. He's been in the UK for about 20 years. He, I owe a lot to Reg. He, uh, when I finished with the comedy circuit in 2009, I just had a decade of it outside of just club gigs. And I went back to Australia for a year and made a music album. And then Reg was over there doing some shows and he offered to let me open for him for two years, which got me known quite well on the touring circuit then. And uh, Reg is a mixture of controversial stuff and and a mixture of he started out as an actor so he has a good ability to make an audience respond and spout <laughs> <laughs> which is you know, a great skill to have 
bridge. Like a bit of Mickey Flanagan. He's an English geezer. Cockney lad. No good. He created the scene. You going out? No, I'm going out, out. I don't know who that is either. I don't quite, don't quite get the joke at the moment. Well, out is like, I'm going to the shops, but out, out, I'm going to the club. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. I, just, you know, I feel so old. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know. Maybe it's just an East End thing or something. But well, I haven't seen him for a while perform, so I don't know what his new stuff's like. But he always made me laugh. Jeff Innocent is the guy sort of around on the circuit, an English guy. He's funny. Geezer. Bald. Looked like a bouncer. You know what I mean? Right. Um. You know Dave Chappelle? Yes. Yeah, of course. I like Dave Chappelle, but I don't always find his stand-up hilarious. Love the way he does it. He's a master. But it's like George Carlin. I didn't like him until he started to just say stuff, but I never found George Carlin particularly hilarious. Right. Whereas Bill Hicks I found full-on and hilarious. Yeah. Bill Burr I find full-on and hilarious. But I still respected Carlin because he's... He said some great stuff. <laughs> Very few people have said it better. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and he's old school. How can you not? He's master, you know, 40 yeah. odd years or something. Or crafting every word with huge care. You know. Totally, totally. Wasn't always, you know, ball breakingly funny, but I loved the, uh, I just loved the, uh, the in your face style of the whole thing. When I grew up, I liked Richard Pryor, of course. Yep. And uh, before I got into comedy, I never expected to get into comedy because I was in bands. But we'd watch Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor and uh, Billy Connolly. And I saw Billy Connolly as a kid on the TV. And Dave Allen. Yeah, he, he could be good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw him as a kid because Australia had a lot of English TV. Wow. And then... Uh, Woody Allen. Yeah. He put some good stuff too. Great joke writer. Ma the guy that taught me how to write jokes. Mm. So I read those books without feathers and uh, side effects. And, uh, when I got into comedy, I just thought, right, let's find everything you can on comedy. Right. I remember, I remember once listening to a heavy metal band, a thrash metal band in the 80s called Exodus, and their first album, the last song called Strike of the Beast. The drum, there's this such an intense bit of drumming. I was a, I'd only been playing drums a year or something, two years. I, I turned the tape off because I thought, how, how do I really do that? Like, like it was almost like I can't listen to that. It's, how do I? How do you do that? Mm. I remember reading Woody Allen books. Had that same thing was the jokes were so brilliantly written and just no fat on them. So worded that I remember I remember putting the book down. You know, oh God, I've got to get this good. <laughs> <You know? coughs> So yeah, that's, that's that's what I like about comedy at the moment, I think. Oh, cool. When we were talking earlier, I got reminded of something I was told years ago, which I think is quite interesting and sort of useful information. So let's say that you've got a partner or a girlfriend, for instance, and you could, you want to do something for for her, right? So let's say you've got four choices. You could take her out, you could tell her she's wonderful, you could do something around the house or you could give her a present. Now it turns out that 
pretty much everybody out of those four, pretty much everybody's got the favourite. You win the brownie points because, let's say, well, I, with my girlfriend at the time, uh, mother or one of my children, um, uh, she asked me the question. You know, she said, what do you think I like? No, I, that's right, I asked her. And uh, she said, what do you mean you don't know? You don't know which of the four I like? Or, and uh, she said, well, you, I want to be taken out, obviously. I don't know, I should have realised, but I didn't. Um, so I've been asking this question. It works obviously the other way around. You know, men, women can ask the men. So it, what, what would you choose? If you bought a present, and very few people want to put, hold their hand up to that, I've noticed. But some people do. They say, yeah, I, I love presents. Uh, something done for you around the house or the garden or whatever it might be or to be taken out, or to be told you're wonderful. Well, straight away I've got into either present or wonderful. Yeah. I don't particularly want to go out. So what I've noticed <laughs> is that the women predominantly want to be taken out. You know, some want stuff done around, yeah, but generally that, that's the majority of the women want to be taken out, whereas the majority of the men, I would say 80-85% want to be told they're wonderful. <laughs> Which shows you how downtrodden us men are. Which tells you how... Well, I was telling you the other day. I think I was telling you. I was talking to a friend of mine in Australia. Australia has a good dose of tall poppy syndrome. And, uh... Oh, indeed, I'm done. I was getting a little frustrated with all this. Uh, uh, my career just halting at a certain place. And, I'll find a key to the door to get through to the next thing. Because, you know, I've, I've had like 15 million views on my uh, YouTube. There's like 10 different things that people have put up. And there's like 15 million views. That's 14,900 or something less than me. More yeah. than me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. And so, and all the comments are great and stuff. I'm sure there's the odd person who doesn't like me. And whatnot. But, uh... I said to my mate in Australia, I said, it's getting a little frustrated. I said, I'm, I'm one of the... And I said, I'm, I'm up there with the best comedians in the world. He goes, hey, right, rein it in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I can't remember why we're getting onto this. And then, uh, uh, oh, yeah, told you, wonderful, I think. But there, there was that thing, like, it's, and I, as I brought up to him, I go, but we, well, while we're here, here's a bit of advice, folks. Tell the people that you, you, you love that you love them or that they're doing something good, that, that, that they're doing it good. Because I said to my friend the other day, are we going to wait till our friends are dead? Because I've seen, I've been to funerals and I've seen the talks. He was such a great guy. He was so good at fixing cars and he was very good to his girlfriend. And he was, he, he, he did this and he learned photography later on in life and put out a book and all this. And I think, yeah, yeah did you tell him when he was alive? Or? Right. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you'll all gladly write it down in your big speech at the funeral. <laughs> but I think you should start telling these people uh, uh, more while they're alive. That's happened to me. I've made a. I upset one of my ex girlfriends because, well, I, I made some video clips of old bands I was in because we had really little archival footage. So I gathered what I could and I put them together. So I made a video clip and put all the people that were around at kind of at the time my ex girlfriend, people who are photographers and our sound guy and stuff. And it was a kind of a. to reminisce and sort of the lack of archival footage that we'd, we'd got. And then I sent it out to them when I finished, and then, and then I hear nothing back. And and I'm like, so I wrote them an email going, you're obviously not interested, could you just delete it? And, and, 
Then they got back to me in two seconds. Well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. well what do you mean I'm not interested? What do, what, do, what do you want me to do? And I thought, yeah, but see, if I'd sent you some herbal teas and a packet of biscuits, you'd have texted me that night. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the thanks for the teas. I got the package, but I've sent you something. But apparently, for you, because I've made some art or something, it's not worth mentioning. Or, or, or do you want to be told you're wonderful, Steve? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Not like oh, but let's bow down to Steve. But like I've made this thing. One, I know it's good. I know you go. Oh, I'm not sort of is it good. But also, I'm interested in your. If you make art and put it out. A response back is, is it's not just to validate your ego. It's, it's, it's like, well, here you go. Did you enjoy this? I mean, if, if, if I always used to use this as an example. If a friend of yours, especially when I, I'd never made video clips before. I mean, if a friend of mine wrote a novel who I knew was a plumber, and then he goes, oh, I've written this in my, uh, the last few years. Well, and he gave me a copy. Well, I'd definitely make sure I got back to him to tell him what I thought. Right? I wouldn't just get to go, thanks. Because it'd be like if you if I made Star Wars and then you took your friends along and you said, I made this. And then at the end of the movie, they walked out of the cinema and just went, well, shall we go and get a coffee or something? Like, so I, I think now the people who are going to be hearing this, the very people you're talking about, will be weeping with shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got to ring my brother. He wrote, he wrote a novel. I didn't mention it. Well, I do. I find it strange. Maybe I'm a naive guy with good manners. I don't know. But I figured if someone gave me a record that they'd made, I would get back to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've been talking. I've been thinking about all the times I actually haven't got back to somebody when they've sent me something. I'm feeling quite guilty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I've done it. I'm sure I'm not. You know, I'm not walking on water out there. But I just, I don't know. I like. I like. I'm sure they want to know what you think about it. You know? Of course, of course. And especially some people I give it to because I, I. Uh, I value their opinion also as, as, as one, there's two, sometimes a great opinion on art is from someone who's not an artist. Well, it's all individual, isn't it? Art, so, I mean. Yeah, yeah. But, but someone who's like, sometimes, you know, there's a record reviewer, sometimes a better review is off the person who just listens to the record. Because they don't have any stake in the game to be honest about what they think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And be paid. Yeah, so being so, paid, and also they have good opinions because that's what they like. So somebody I knew <coughs> years and years ago was quite a bit older than me, and he was a re used to be a record plugger in the nineteen late nineteen fifties and sixties, and um, he said that his career started at the top and went downhill from from there. And what he did as an idea is he got the the record plant who pressed the singles to make it out of chocolate. And so he had to keep keep them cool. And he delivered chocolate forty fives to all the DJs in the radio stations. And of course, they played it. They're going to play it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he gave them the real one as well. So so he did really really well, and but never got up. Never came up with another idea that's good. <laughs> Started at the top and went down. That's not the way you want. So uh, I didn't know you could make it out of chocolate. That's well, they'll play once, but probably not very well. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It'd have to be nice and cold. Okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, just getting back for a moment to those four choices, right? So, how much better would people's relationships be in general if the women said to the men, "You're wonderful," a lot more often, and if the men, uh, assuming you're taking them to the right place, um, uh, took 
took the girls out more often. You know, maybe things could be so much better. Maybe men don't want to go out to say, oh, God, this women's work now these days. Women's work, oh, I might, might, might want to step back a bit. But I guess, yeah, you know. Um, or, or what they want. I mean, first of all. I'm no fact, expert on women and, 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 and long term relationships, so I, I, I'm, I'm sure. And my mother was one, so I, I, I know a little bit. The, um, um, but I mean, the first thing is to ask, to ask your partner, uh, what, you know, or say to I think you're this one of these four choices. Um, but I went to a talk a while ago with J Jamie Catto. And he said, right, I want you to do, there's a big audience, like 300 people or something. And um, he said, look, I want to turn, you to turn to the person next to you. And I want you to say to them, um, I think you're, you're wonderful. I think maybe we could spe spend our whole lives together. But there are three things that I have to tell you about myself. And I mean, imagine relationships before you got into one. He said, look, okay, there are just three things I need to tell you about myself. I'm this, I'm that, and the other. So um, I turned to the person next to me, who's a very attractive woman, and she told me that she was a control freak. She was, and two other things that, oh my God, you, know, <laughs> you, you don't want to go out with this person. <laughs> but it could save a lot of time. Yeah, 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 it would save a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. God, I wonder if that's how I should have done it with my girlfriend. I was at the bar with him. All right. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Because no one's crap in the first few weeks, are they? Well, no, everybody tries hard in the honeymoon period, you might say. But, I mean, as a chat-up line, I don't suppose anybody's ever asked them that one before or said to, said to them. You know. That would be good. Okay. Tell me three of your worst foibles before we, uh, before I buy that second glass of white wine. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to admit yours first. That That's much stronger. The what, sorry? Uh, you, tell, you tell them your, oh, yeah. your three first. Yeah. I wonder what mine would be. I know exactly what mine would be. I'm going to keep really quiet about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go get a drink. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, I should get one too. I'll get you one. All right, well, I'll keep you entertained, folks, while uh, Clive's off to get a drink. Uh, I'm pretty crazy. When we say drink, I mean a, a warm water. Water. A water. My crazy drinking habits these days. I had two glasses of red wine in Ireland about three weeks ago. But because I don't drink, excuse me, because I don't drink, I actually had a little bit of a hangover from two glasses. It was back in the old days. I was never a big drinker, but when I partied, I was talking to Clyde yesterday, I said, so booze only tasted good with company in my, in my estimation of it. I used to get up from some of those outrageous evenings of illegal hoo-ha and uh, shots in, Jaeger shots in, in Red Bull, knocked down with Jack Daniels and Coca-Cola and red wine later on that evening. I was never one who was scared to mix drinks. It was a, except white wine or gin. Those are two things I would never drink, ever. Dylan Moran had a great joke about gin. He goes, gin should only be drunk by middle-aged women crying on stairwells. 
<laughs> you know, that's what they put. Now we, now we put the cocaine in the, uh, in, 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 the uh, in the water. Salt, actually. So you know, gripe water for babies used to have gin in it originally. What water? Gripe water. It's maybe it's an English thing. It's an English. They, they used years ago. They used to give babies gripe water to keep to stop them crying. It had gin in it. Well, it work, I guess. Oh, it did. Yeah, yeah. The mothers drank it, of course. <laughs> yeah, 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 the opposite thing happened. Why doesn't he take me out? Why doesn't he take me out? You told him he's wonderful. No, he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is our first uh, sit-down chat on video. You know, Clive decided while we were down here to. It's an overcast day down here in Wilshire today, which I quite like. Overcast days. So if you're growing up in Australia as an artist, having beating down 40 degree sun on you all the time is not the most inducive thing. Have you ever wondered why Sweden creates so many amazing bands and record producers? It's too cold to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're stunning musicians. They're amazing record producers. A lot of that, if you're into candy-coated pop on the radio, a lot of that stuff's written by Swedes, produced by Swedes. If they decide they're going to make a 70s-inspired rock band, when you hear it, you think it's from the 70s. Mm. They just, they're, 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 they're remarkable at making music. And yeah, I think it's got a lot to do with it. Well, we're not going out, so we can we can become record producers, have sex with the good-looking people, and uh, <laughs> learn guitar really well. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought we'd just jump on here today and uh, have, a, have an experiment chat, see how we got on. As I said, Clive's been helping him out, plying me with magnesium. And I've been uh, doing some tidying up around his house. He doesn't, he's not a pig or a slob. I am stretching the imagination, but I'm a bit of a neat freak. And as a sort of payback, as I was telling Clive this morning, I used to even tidy up my own hotel rooms before I leave the, leave the towels in the bathroom, pull back the sheets, make sure the bin was wrapped up. <laughs> Well, I can, I can vouch for the fact that Steve has a second career possibility. I don't look particularly great in French maids' outfits, but I definitely can do some great things with a feather duster. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thankfully he hasn't tried that. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know the feather I'm going to hide them. A feather duster is like the manual leaf blower. Because <laughs> it, it, just, it, just, it just smashes it around somewhere else, isn't it? It's, that's what the leaf blower seems to do, except the feather duster is a lot quieter and sexier in the hand of an attractive woman in, a, in, a, in an outfit. But the, the, I had jokes about the leaf blower guy for years, because, you know, I thought the day Buddhists have leaf blowers were in serious <laughs> trouble, you know what I mean? Because they would, they would sweep before enlightenment, chopping wood, collecting water, or perhaps sweeping in the monastery, right? But sweeping is, is quite a quiet and meditative affair, whereas some maniac invented the leaf blower. that <laughs> just... They're, they're one of the worst machines on the planet. I mean, they really are. You know, uh, you mentioned Buddhism. When, when I was about 18 or so, the girlfriend and I went out to Thailand and uh, we'd pack bananas and various things to keep, you know, so we had stuff to eat. And we're in this gorgeous old temple all by ourselves. And suddenly we're surrounded by monkeys who want the bananas. That's all right, I'll give them the bananas. But they want more bananas, we haven't got more bananas. And... They're, they're beginning to look really vicious, I mean, really nasty. Anyway, one of them goes, whoop, 
and we don't know what no, no, no. and we realise there's there's a young monk with a catapult. <laughs> Well, he, he hasn't quite mastered his enlightenment. <laughs> well, he, was, he was very enlightened as far as I was concerned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to reach non-dualism. Non-dualism enlightenment. Well, these fucking monkeys are... <laughs> oh, yeah. But going back to the leaf bar. Oh, my God. Because do they, do, do they... Where do the leaves go? Uh, next door. There's another thing I want to know, folks, if anybody knows this. In the age of green and uh, carbon emissions, and I'm carbon neutral, if you're in hotels these days, you'll notice even if they call themselves a green hotel, that they've decided there's a thing going through hotels called budget hotels, where things like the toilet brushes went for bloody communists quite a few years ago. <laughs> Because obviously corporate moves in, don't they? And they think, well, there's 800 million, 300 rooms in here. We, we, we don't need 300 toilet brushes. We could keep one in for the night. It's going to save the money. But, you know, the, the joke being that I used to you know, have nights out on the Guinness and the whatnot and kebabs at three in the morning. And so the next day in my hotel bathroom, I think that this disaster is my responsibility. And uh, the toilet brush is going to come in handy. Right? So, so they went first. Then the EU regulations, they locked all the windows so you don't kill yourself. And they, they did that because they know eventually you're going to want to kill yourself because they know what was coming for the rest of the hotel. <laughs> so now kettles have gone. Why? Because we're going to put a shop downstairs. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right, so we'll get rid of the kettles. Now, some will still have kettles. It's varied yet. It's not all gone yet. You know, an old hotel in Cork in Ireland a few weeks ago was a, still had a kettle and even some complimentary biscuits. Because we also we used to have a mini bar, mini fridge, didn't we? That's right. Yeah, with incredibly expensive small drinks. Yes. Fridges have gone. So that means if you're in this hotel, like you could be as touring as a comedian, that you might want to store things like vitamins or food. Insulin. Insulin. Right, right. Not anymore. Why well, it's gone. So now the... the the one that's happened now is, now in there is paper cups and wooden sticks like in Starbucks. So if you wanted to spoon some vitamins in or something, you've got to sit with a paper cup in your room. And the point I got at before I started this uh, rant, where, especially when in the green world, well, you had teaspoons that lasted a thousand years and cups that archaeologists could find in a thousand years. And you go, oh, what's the holiday in? But I was wondering, where have they gone? I, I carry my own mini fridge whenever, and, you know, <laughs> you wherever I go. No, I don't. <laughs> but I'm wondering, where are the teaspoons gone? Oh, my God. So the lesson for this is that S Steve is marketing a mini fridge, which you'll be selling, and uh, bring your own spoons. Yep, bring your own spoons. I've got a, I wish I had my bag down here. I've got a collection of wooden and plastic spoons that I've collected from train stations on the way knowing that if I get stuck in a hotel those are the last ones they had yeah because I've only got a wooden stick now the uh, I, I was mentioning to you this morning that um, uh, you know when people uh, believe that um, I should go green what actually happens is I see red I become blue and then everything looks black 
So my answer to that is eat oranges. <laughs> Go green. If you've got any other colours I could slip in there, let me know. I'm sure the LGBTQRRICDC whatnot group has. They've got, they've got every colours of the rainbow and beyond. And if, if you look at, at the way the flag is, if you look at the chakra colours, it's total inversion, completely upside down. Make of that what you will. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, shall we um, relieve them? Of yeah, we thought we'd give this a go first, just, uh, just a, a, a complimentary video to uh, complimentary. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very, I'm very, I'm, I, I would like to compliment you uh, for watching this video. It's a complimentary video, see? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll compliment you. We thought we'd just sit down here. It's a, it's a lovely overcast day here in Wiltshire, and we thought, why not? Uh, uh, but by the way, people accuse me of, of being in complementary medicine, and I explain that actually I'm quite antagonistic. I'm not complementary. And as we started doctors. out talking at the beginning of this, uh, yeah, about complimenting your friends on some uh, artwork they do. So, Clive's uh, in complementary medicine. I'm in complementary art. So, we'll leave you with this. If any of your friends or relatives or so forth have done written a novel you didn't know or made a film or something, tell them good on them. That's right. Don't wait for their funeral. That's what we're saying. And if you come and get, get some of Clive's uh, <laughs> magnesium, that's what he got me on, magnesium, someone get Clive's stuff, you, you might not have to go to your funeral as early. He's, he's helping, this is true. He's helping me at night. Because surely you know that eating Monster Munch and Domino's Pizza is not doing you any good. And the soil's depleted. And lunatics run the world. So there's an easy way that you don't have to read a million David Icke books or, or, or Jim Mars books. All you have to do is realise whatever they're telling you, turn it up the other way. <laughs> You'll probably find the truth there. Seems that way. I, I reckon everything's inverted. Yeah. That's the whole sort of demonic idea. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. On that lovely note, I bought, uh, we were in a crystal shop yesterday and I bought, bought this stone, which I think is sort of quite interesting. It's very charming. Yeah. He's given it to me as a gift. <laughs> he's, he's told me that I'm wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. See you later. Well, there you go.